Chapter Four of the Lust of Hate by Guy Boothby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four A Strange Coincidence. If any man is desirous of properly understanding the feelings of gratitude and relief which filled my breast as the Fiji Princess steamed down Channel that first afternoon out from Southampton, he must begin by endeavouring to imagine himself placed in the same unenviable position. For all I knew to the contrary, even while I stood leaning on the bullocks watching the coastline away to starboard, some unlucky chance might be giving the police a clue to my identity, and the hue and cry already have begun. When I came to consider my actions during the past twenty-four hours, I seemed to be giving my enemies innumerable opportunities of discovering my whereabouts. My letter to the manager of the hotel which I had posted in the Strand, after leaving the Covent Garden restaurant, would furnish proof that I was in town before five o'clock, the time at which the box was cleared on the morning of the murder. And having ascertained that much, they would in all probability call at the hotel, and in instituting inquiries there, be permitted a perusal of the letter I had written to the manager that morning. Whether they would believe that I had gone north, as I desired, they should suppose it was difficult to say. But in either case, they would be almost certain to have all the southern seaports watched. I fancied, however, that my quickness in getting out of England would puzzle them a little, even if it did not baffle them altogether. Unfortunately, the Fiji Princess had been the only vessel of importance sailing from Southampton on that particular day and owing to the paucity of steerage passengers i felt sure the clerk who gave me my ticket would remember me sufficiently well to be able to assist in the work of identification other witnesses against me would be the porters at surbiton railway station who had seen me arrive tired and dispirited after my long walk the old man who had given me whisky on the journey down and the people in the restaurant where i had been taken ill would probably recognise me from the description However, it was in my favour that I was here on the deck of the steamer, if not devoid of anxiety, at least free from the clutches of the law for the present. The afternoon was perfectly fine, though bitterly cold. Overhead stretched a blue sky, with scarcely a cloud from horizon to horizon. The sea was green as grass and almost as smooth as a mill pond. Since luncheon I had seen nothing of the passengers nor had I troubled to inquire if the vessel carried her full complement. The saloon was situated right aft in the poop. The skipper had his cabin next to the chart room on the hurricane deck, and the officers theirs on either side of the engine room, in the alleyways below. My quarters, I had them all to myself, as I said in the last chapter, were as roomy and comfortable as a man could expect for the passage money I paid. And when I had made friends with the cook and his mate, I knew I should get through the voyage in comparative comfort. At this point I am brought to the narration of the most uncanny portion of my story. A coincidence so strange that it seems almost impossible it can be true, and one for which I have never been able in any way to account. Yet strange as it may appear, it must be told. And that it is true, have I not the best and sweetest evidence any man could desire in the world? It came about in this way. In the middle of the first afternoon, as already described, I was sitting smoking on the fore hatch, 
and at the same time talking to the chief steward he'd been to sea so he told me since he was quite a lad and as soon as i discovered it had seen some strange adventures in almost every part of the globe it turned out as is generally the way that i knew several men with whom he was acquainted and in a few minutes we were upon the most friendly terms from the sea our conversation changed to china and in illustration of the character of the waterside people of that peculiar country my companion narrated a story about a shipmate who had put off in a sampan to board his boat lying in hong kong harbour and had never been seen or heard of again it was a queer thing he said impressively as he shook the ashes out of his pipe and recharged it as queer a thing as ever a man heard of i spent the evening with the chap myself and before we had said good-bye we arranged to go to happy valley the sunday morning following but he never turned up nor have i ever set eyes on him from that time to this whether he was murdered by the sampan's crew or whether he fell overboard and was drowned in the harbour i don't suppose will ever be known a very strange thing i said as bravely as i could and instantly thought of the bond i had in common with that sampan's crew Aye, strange very strange replied the steward shaking his head solemnly but there's many a strange things done nowadays look at these here murders that have been going on in london lately i would reckon to be a wise man as could put an explanation on them all my blood seemed to rush to my head and my heart for a second stood still i suffered agonies of apprehension lest he should notice my state and have his suspicions aroused but he was evidently too much engrossed with his subject to pay any attention to my appearance i knew i must say something but my tongue was cleaving to the roof of my mouth it was some moments before i found my voice and then i said as innocently as possible they are peculiar are they not have you any theory to account for them this was plainly a question to his taste and it soon became evident that he had discussed the subject in all its bearings on several occasions before you want to know what i think he began slowly fixing me with an eye that he seemed to imagine bored through me like an auger what i think is the anarchists are at the bottom of it all and i'll tell you for why look at the class of men who were killed who was the first a major general in the army wasn't he who was the second a member of the house of lords who was the third he looked so searchingly at me that i felt myself quailing before his glance as if he had detected me in my guilt who could tell him better than i who the last victim was and the third well he was one of these rich men as fattens on society and the working man was he not he pounded his open hand with his fist in the true fashion and his eyes constantly challenged me to refute his statements if i were in a position to do so but heaven help me thankful as i would have been to do it i was not able to gainsay him instead i sat before him like a criminal in the dock conscious of the danger i was running yet unable for the life of me to avert it still however my tormentor did not notice my condition but returned to the charge with renewed vigour what he lacked in argument he made up in vehemence and for nearly an hour i had to sit and bear the brunt of both now i'll ask you a question he said for the twentieth time after he had paused to watch the effect of his last point what do the anarchists mostly go for why for what we may call for the sake of argument the leaders of society generals peers and millionaires those are the people therefore that they want to be rid of 
you think then i said that these these crimes were the work of a party instead of an individual he half closed his eyes and looked at me with an expression upon his face that seemed to implore me to contradict him you know what i think he said and then with fine conceit if only other folk had as much savvy as we have the fellows who did the work would have been laid to the heels by this time as it is they'll never catch them no not till the moon's made of cream cheese with this avowal of his settled opinion he took himself off and left me sitting on the hatch hoping with all my heart and soul that if in this lay my chance of safety the world might long retain its present opinion while i was ruminating on what he had said and feeling that i would give five years of my life to know exactly how matters stood ashore i chanced to look up at the little covered way on the hurricane deck below the bridge my heart seemed to stand still for the moment i thought i must be asleep and dreaming for there gazing across the sea was the same woman's face i had seen suspended in mid-air above my cab on the previous night astonishing as it may seem there could be no possible doubt about it i recognised the expressive eyes the sweet mouth and the soft wavy hair as plainly as if i had known her all my life long thinking it was still only a creation of my own fancy and that in a moment it would fade away as before i stared hard at it resolved while i had the chance to still further impress every feature upon my memory but it did not vanish as i expected i rubbed my eyes in an endeavour to find out if i were awake or asleep but that made no difference she still remained i was quite convinced by this time however that she was flesh and blood but who could she be and where had i really seen her face before for something like five minutes i watched her and then for the first time she looked down at the deck where i sat suddenly she caught sight of me and almost at the same instant i saw her give a little start of astonishment evidently she had also seen me in some other place but could no more recall it than myself as soon as she had recovered from her astonishment she glanced round the waste of water again and then moved away but even when she had left me i could not for the life of me rid myself of my feeling of astonishment i reviewed my past life in an attempt to remember where i had met her but still without success while i was wondering my friend the chief steward came along the deck again i accosted him and asked if he could tell me the name of the lady with the wavy brown hair whom i could see talking to the captain at the door of the chart house he looked in the direction indicated and then said her name is maybourne miss agnes maybourne her father is a big mine owner at the cape so i'm told her mother died about a year ago i heard the skipper telling the lady after this morning and it seems that the poor young thing felt the loss terribly she's been home for a trip with an old uncle try and cheer her up a bit and now they're on their way back home again thank you very much i said i've been puzzling over her face for some time she's exactly like someone i've met at some time or other but where i can't remember on this introduction the steward favoured me with a long account of a cousin of his a steward on board an atlantic liner who it would appear was always being mistaken for other people to such a length did this misfortune carry him he was once arrested in liverpool on suspicion of being a famous forger who was then at large whether he was sentenced and served a term of penal servitude or whether the mistake was discovered and he was acquitted i cannot now remember 
but i have a faint recollection that my friend described it as a case that baffled the ingenuity of scotland yard and raised more than one new point of law which he of course was alone able to set right in a satisfactory manner needless to say miss maybourne's face continued to excite my wonder and curiosity for the remainder of the afternoon when i saw her the following morning promenading the hurricane deck in the company of a dignified grey-haired gentleman with a clean-shaven shrewd face who i set down to be her uncle i discovered that my interest had in no way abated this wonderment and mystification kept me company for longer than i liked and it was not until we were bidding good-bye to the channel that i determined to give up brooding over it and think about something else once old england was properly behind us and we were out in the open ocean experiencing the beauties of a true atlantic swell and wondering what our portion was to be in the bay of biscay my old nervousness returned upon me this will be scarcely a matter for wonder when you reflect that every day we were drawing nearer to our first port of call and at tenerife i should know whether or not the police had discovered the route i had taken if they had i should certainly be arrested as soon as the vessel came to anchor and be detained in the portuguese prison until an officer should arrive in england to take charge of me and conduct me home for trial again and again i pictured that return the mortification of my relatives and the excitement of the press and several times i calmly deliberated with myself as to whether the best course for me to pursue would not be to drop quietly overboard some dark night and thus prevent the degradation that would be my portion if i were taken home and placed upon my trial however had i but known it i might have spared myself all this anxiety for the future had something in store for me which i had never taken into consideration and which was destined to upset all my calculations in a most unexpected fashion how strange is a thing fate and by what small circumstances are the currents of our lives diverted if i had not had my matchbox in my pocket on the occasion i am about to describe what a very different tale i should have had to tell you must bear with me if i dwell upon it for it is the one little bit of that portion of my life that i love to remember it all came about this way on the evening in question i was standing smoking against the port bullock between the fore rigging and the steps leading to the hurricane deck what the exact time was i cannot remember it may have been eight it might possibly have been half past one thing at any rate is certain dinner was over in the saloon for some of the passengers were promenading the hurricane deck my pipe was very nearly done and having nothing better to do i was beginning to think of turning in when the second officer came out of the alleyway and asked me for a match he was a civil young fellow two or three and twenty when i had furnished him with what he wanted we fell into conversation in the course of our yarning he mentioned the name of a ship on which he had served his apprenticeship then for the first time for many years that i remembered i had a cousin who had spent some years aboard her i mentioned his name and to my surprise he remembered him perfectly blakely he cried charlie blakely well i knew him as well as i know any man fine fellow as of a step we made three voyages to china and back together i've got a photograph of him in my berth now come along and see it on this invitation i followed him from my own part of the vessel down the alleyway past the engine-room to his quarters which was situated at the end and looked over the after spar deck that separated the poop from the hurricane deck 
when i had seen the picture i stood at the door talking to him for some minutes and while thus engaged saw two ladies and a gentleman come out of the saloon and got the ladder to the deck above our heads from where i stood i could hear their voices distinctly and could not help envying them in their happiness how different it was to my miserable lot suddenly there rang out a woman's scream followed by another and a man's voice shouting frantically help help miss maybourne has fallen overboard the words were scarcely out of his mouth before i had left the alleyway crossed the well and was climbing the ladder that led to the poop a second two later i was at the taffrail had thrown off my coat mounted the rail and catching sight of a figure struggling amongst the cream of the wake astern plunged in after her the whole thing from the time the first shriek was uttered until i had risen to the surface and was blowing the water from my mouth and looking about me for the girl could not have taken more than twenty seconds and yet in it i seemed to live a lifetime ahead of me the great ship towered up to the heavens all around me was the black bosom of the ocean with the stars looking down at it in their winking grandeur some moments after i had come to the surface i could see nothing of the girl i had jumped overboard to rescue she seemed to have quite disappeared then while on the summit of a wave i caught a glimpse of her and putting forth all my strength swam towards her eternities elapsed before i reached her when i did i came carefully up alongside put my left arm under her shoulders to sustain her she was quite sensible and strangely enough not in the least frightened can you swim i asked anxiously as i began to tread water a little but not very well she answered i'm afraid i'm getting rather tired lean upon me i answered try not to be afraid they will lower a boat in a few moments and pick us up she said no more but fought hard to keep herself afloat the weight upon my arm was almost more than i could bear and i began to fear that if the rescue boat did not soon pick us up they might have the row for nothing then my ears caught the chirp of oars and the voice of the second officer encouraging his men in their search for us if you can hold on for another three or four minutes i said in gasps to my companion all will be well i will try she answered bravely but i fear i shall not be able to my strength is quite gone her clothes were sodden with water and added greatly to the weight i had to support not once but half a dozen times seas as cold as ice broke over us and once i was compelled to let go of my hold on her when i rose to the surface again some seconds elapsed before i could find her she had sunk and by the time i had dived and got my arm around her again she was quite unconscious the boat was now about thirty yards distant from us and already the men in her had sighted us and were pulling with all their strength to our assistance in another minute or so they would be alongside but the question was whether i could hold out so long a minute contained sixty seconds and each second was an eternity of waiting when they were near enough to hear my voice i called to them with all my strength to make haste i saw the bows of the boat come closer and closer and could distinctly distinguish the hissing of the water under her bows if you can hold on for a few seconds longer shouted the officer in command we'll get you aboard i heard the men on the starboard side throwing their oars i saw the man in the bows leaning forward to catch hold of us and i remember saying lift the lady i can hold on then the boat seemed to fade away icy cold water rose higher and higher and i felt myself sinking down 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 calmly and quietly into the black sea just fading out of life as happily as a little child falls asleep when i came to my senses again i found myself lying in a bunk in a cabin 
which was certainly not my own. The appointments were decidedly comfortable, if not luxurious. A neat white and gold washstand stood against the bulkhead, with a large mirror suspended above it. Under the porthole, which was shaded with a small red curtain, was a cushioned locker. At one end of this locker, a handy contrivance for hanging clothes. Two men, one a young fellow about my own age, and the other, the elderly gentleman with whom I had often seen Miss Maybourne walking, were standing beside me, watching me eagerly. When they saw that I had recovered consciousness, they seemed to consider it a matter for congratulation. Ah, so you know us again, do you? said the younger man, whom I now recognise as the ship's doctor. How do you feel in yourself? Not very bright just at the present, I answered truthfully. But I've no doubt I shall be all right in an hour or two. Then, when a recollection of what had occasioned my illness came over me, I said, How's Miss Maybourne? I hope they got her on board safely. Thanks to you, my dear sir, they did, said the old gentleman, who I discovered later was her uncle, as I had suspected. I'm glad to be able to tell you that she is now making rapid progress towards recovery. You must get well too and hear what the entire ship has to say about your bravery. I hope they'll say nothing, I answered. Anybody could have done it. And now, how long have I been lying here? Since they brought you on board last night, about twelve hours. You were unconscious for such a long time that we were beginning to grow uneasy about you. But thank goodness our clever doctor here has brought you round at last. The young medico resolved to stop this flow of flattery and small talk, so he bade me sit up and try to swallow some beef tea he had prepared for me. With his assistance I raised myself, and when I had polished off as much of the food as I was able to manage, he made me lie down once more and try to get to sleep again. I did exactly as I was ordered, and in less time than it takes to tell, was in the land of Nod. It was not until I was up and about again that I learnt the history of the rescue. Immediately Miss Maybourne's shriek had roused the ship and I had sprung overboard to her assistance. The chief officer, who was on the bridge, ran to the engine room telegraph and gave the signal to stop the vessel. The second officer by this time, with commendable activity, had accompanied the carpenter, who, among others, had heard the alarm to one of the quarters boats and had her all ready for lowering by the time the crew was collected. At first they had some difficulty in discovering us. Once they did so, they lost no time in picking us up. Miss Maybourne was quite unconscious when they took her from my arms, and I believe as soon as I felt myself relieved of her weight, I too lost my senses and began to sink. A boat hook, however, brought me to the surface. Directly we reached the ship's deck, the captain gave orders that I should be conveyed to an empty cabin at the end of the saloon. And thus, and it was here that I found myself when I returned to consciousness. For what length of time I slept after the doctor and Miss Maybourne's uncle left the cabin, I cannot say. I only know that when I woke, the former would not hear of me getting up as I desired to do, but bade me make the most of a bad job and remain where I was until he examined me the following morning. It must have been after breakfast that he came to see me, for I heard the bell go, and half an hour later the voices of the passengers die away as they left the table and went on deck. Good morning, Mr. Rexford, he said as he shut the door behind him and came over to the bunk. How are you feeling today? Pretty well, I hope. I feel quite myself again, I answered. I want to get up. This lying in bed is dreary work. I dare say you find it so. Anyway, I shall not stop you from getting up now, if you're so minded. That is, provided you eat a good breakfast first. I think I can meet you on that ground, I said with a laugh. I'm as hungry as a hunter. I hope they're going to give me something pretty soon. I can satisfy you up on that point, he replied. I saw the steward preparing a tray as I came through the saloon. 
yes you must hurry and get on deck for the ladies are dying to shake you by the hand i suppose that you're not aware that you are the hero of the hour i'm sorry to hear it i said in all sincerity and such a terrible lot of fuss made over a very simple action nonsense my dear fellow there hasn't been anything said yet you wait till old manston gets hold of you he would have his say yesterday but for my preventing him and ever since then he has been bottling it up for when you're well enough to receive it who is this mr manston of whom you speak i don't think i know him you must remember miss maybourne's uncle the old gentleman who was here with me yesterday when you came to your senses again you must have seen him walking with her on deck fine military-looking old chap with a big grey moustache now that you describe him i remember him perfectly i said but i never heard his name before i wish you'd tell him for me i don't want anything more said about the matter if they want to reward me let them do it by forgetting all about it they couldn't do anything that would please me more well what a modest chap you are to be sure said the doctor most men would want the royal humane society's medal some would even aspire to purses of sovereigns very probably but down on my luck as i am i don't want either the less notoriety i derive the happier man i shall be to change the subject i hope miss maybourne is better oh she's almost herself again now i expect to have her up and about again to-day surely you would not mind receiving her thanks i should not be so churlish i hope i remarked but all the same i would rather she said nothing about the matter that is the worst part of doing anything a little out of the ordinary one must always be thanked praised and made a fuss of till one begins to regret ever having committed an action that could produce such disastrous results come come you're looking at the matter in a very dismal light i must say he cried nine out of ten men i'm certain would have given their ears for the chance you had of rescuing agnes maybourne that it should come to a man who can't appreciate his good fortune seems like an irony of fate i was about to reply to his jesting speech in a similar strain there was a tap at the door and a steward entered bearing a tray the smell of the food was as good as a tonic to me and when the doctor had propped me up so i could get at it in comfort i set to work he then left me to myself while he went to see his other patient the lady of whom we have just been speaking promising to return in a quarter of an hour to help me dress i had just finished my meal and was placing the tray upon the floor in such a way that the things upon it could not be spilt if the vessel should roll when there came another tap at the door and in response to my cry come in the captain of the ship appeared and behind him the elderly gentleman whom the doctor had described to me as miss maybourne's uncle under whose care she was travelling to south africa good morning mr rexford said the captain politely as he advanced towards me and held out his hand i hope you're feeling better i'm perfectly well again now thank you i replied the doctor is going to let me get up in a few minutes and then i shall be ready to return to my old quarters forward that's the very matter i've come in to see you about said the skipper first however i must tell you what the entire ship's company both passengers and crew think of your bravery the night before last it was nobly done sir as anything i have ever seen and i heartily congratulate you upon it thank you very much i answered but i must really ask you not to say no more about it I've already been thanked over so much more than I deserve. That could not be, impetuously broke in Mr. Manston, who had not spoken hitherto. On my own behalf, and of that of my niece, I too thank you most heartily. And you may rest assured that I shall take care that a full and proper account of it is given to my brother when I reach South Africa. Until we do so, I hope, Mr. Wreckford, said the skipper, that you will take up your quarters in this cabin 
and consider yourself a saloon passenger i'm sure the owners would wish it and for my part i should be proud to have you among us and i say hear hear to that added mr manstone for a moment i hardly knew what to say i was touched by his kindness in making the offer but in my position i could not dream of accepting it this notoriety was likely to do me quite enough harm as it was i thank you i said at last and i hope you will fully understand how grateful i am to you for the kindness which prompts the offer but i think i will remain in my old quarters for it if you have no objection i'm quite comfortable there and as i made my choice on principle at the beginning i think with your permission i would rather not change it now but my dear sir began the captain you must let us show our appreciation in some practical form we could never let you off quietly as you seem to wish you have already done more than enough i answered you have told me what you thought of my action and you have also made me this offer the value of which you may be quite sure i fully appreciate i have felt compelled to decline it and under those circumstances i think it would be best to let the subject drop you are too modest by half mr rexford said miss maybourne's uncle far too modest for some time the two gentlemen did their best to persuade me to forego my decision but hard as they tried they did not succeed there were so many reasons why i should not take up my residence amongst the first salon passengers aft and as i reviewed them in my mind i became more than ever convinced that it would be madness for me to forego my resolution when they discovered that i was not to be moved they shook hands again and then left me five minutes later the doctor came in to help me dress he carried a bundle of clothes in his arms and when he had shut the door behind him he threw them on the locker under the porthole your own clothes i'm sorry to say rexford he began are completely spoiled so if you'll allow me i'm going to lend you these till we can see about some more we are men of pretty much the same build so what fits me should fit you and vice versa now if you're ready let me give you a hand to dress for i want to get you on deck in the fresh air as soon as possible half an hour later i was ready to leave my cabin the doctor's clothes fitted me admirably and after i'd given a look around to see that i had not left anything behind me i followed the medico out into the saloon fortunately there were very few people about but to my horror those who were there would insist upon shaking hands with me telling me what they thought of my action before they would let me escape to add to my discomfort when i left the saloon and passed along the spar deck towards my own quarters i had to run the gauntlet of the rest of the passengers who clustered round me and overwhelmed me with a chorus of congratulations on my recovery i doubt very much if ever there was more fuss made over an act of common humanity than that made by the passengers of the fiji princess over mine if i had saved the lives of the whole ship's company captain and stokers included there could not have been more said about it reaching my own quarters forward i went down to my berth in search of a pipe and a pouch of tobacco and when i had found them set myself down on the fore hatch and began to smoke it was a lovely morning a merry breeze hummed in the shrouds and the great steamer was ploughing away along with an exhilarating motion that brought my strength back quicker than any doctor's physic on the bridge my old friend the second officer was pacing up and down and when he saw me came to the rail and waved his hand in welcome the chief steward also found me out and embraced the opportunity of telling me that my conduct reminded him of a cousin's exploits in the hogley which said narrative i felt constrained to swallow with a few grains of salt when he left me i sat where i was and thought how pleasant it was after all to find there were still people in the world with sufficiently generous natures 
to appreciate a fellow creature's actions one question however haunted me continually what would the folk aboard this ship say when they knew my secret and above all what would miss agnes maybourne think when she should come to hear of it End of chapter four